Genesis chapter 21. I know that when we move through these books of the Bible, it takes a long time, and so uh, we forget things. Um, but I hope you've enjoyed this study because we, you know, the, the first 11 chapters were uh, sweeping uh, chapters that moved over thousands, uh, almost 2,000 years. Uh, there were major epic events that occurred in those first 11 chapters and uh, very fascinating part of the Bible to me personally. Uh, and then in chapter 12, we started uh, being introduced to Abraham and Sarah. And so we've spent several uh, weeks studying this couple. And I hope that you've enjoyed that. I hope that you've learned something from these two people. Uh, so, so much so that when... Uh, you're in heaven, and you get that opportunity to meet them. You'll know who they are. Um, God has given us a lot of insight into these two people, and I'm thankful for that. Uh, when we come to chapter 21, this is a chapter of transition. Uh, it's beginning to pull all of the strings together of all of the things that we've been learning about these two people. Uh, beginning in chapter 12. So from chapter 12 all the way up to where we're at today in chapter 20 has all been about Abraham and Sarah. And uh, uh, it's transitory because in, in the next chapter, Abraham is going to experience the ultimate test. And he does pass that test, but it is after this that the baton is handed off to Isaac. And so this study that we have had with this, this wonderful couple is coming to a close. Um, and, you know, if we were to sit down with a piece of paper and try to write down everything that, you know, we, we know that has happened beginning in chapter 12 all the way up to chapter 20, I think all of us would have difficulty doing that. Uh, we would get some things, but there'd be so much that we would miss. And uh, that's just because of who we are. Um, our... Uh, this is the way we're, we're wired. We, we don't retain everything. You know. um, sometimes uh, Gene and I were talking about historical dates. And some of them I just know. And some of them I recognize when someone says it. Um, but our brains just don't keep everything. You know, we, we keep the things we have to have. And so this is why it is so important to attend church on a regular basis, to continue to expose yourself to God's Word. And I think all of us will agree that over time, some things do set in. Some things do begin to solidify in our hearts and in our minds. Things about God and who He is, the things that God doesn't like, the things that God does like, the, the, His personality. Um, he has a, a certain kind of a character and uh, the best things about us are a reflection of Him. And so over a period of time of going to church and exposing yourself to God's Word, being around other Christians, hearing people pray, uh, all of these things begin to solidify in our hearts and minds things about God, things about salvation, and things about the Christian life. And so while we may not be Bible experts who just remember every single thing that happened in chapter, you know, with a gun to your head, can you tell me what happened in Genesis chapter 16? 
you know, maybe you can't do that, but over time, you know, it's, a, it's our frail, filthy, sinful bodies, our brains, and we're just, uh, we're just not that great, and we can't retain everything. But this is why you go to church. This is why. Um, because over a time, as we continue to expose ourselves to God, um, He soaks in, He sinks in, in all the most good and important ways. And so as we come to chapter 21, this is a chapter that can be broken down into three pieces very easily. Uh, it's kind of difficult to make all three pieces say one thing. They don't. Uh, it almost moves through three different things. But uh, uh, we'll look at each one of them individually. Uh, the first one begins in chapter 21 uh, is the first seven verses. So let's read those together. Then the Lord came to Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah what he had promised. Now that verse right there means that we have to retain something about things that have happened in the past. So now we're starting to talk about something that God said he was going to do. Something that he had promised to do. Verse 2, Sarah became pregnant and she bore a son to Abraham in his old age. At the appointed time, God had told him, Abraham named his son who was born to him, the one Sarah born to him, Isaac. And when his son Isaac was eight days old, Abraham circumcised him as God had commanded him. Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. Sarah said, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. She also said, Who would have told Abraham that Sarah would nurse children? Yet I have borne him a son, in his old age. Isaac's name means laughter. Uh, we see Isaac is finally born, this child that has been promised. We see that he's circumcised on the eighth day. We remember that this is what uh, the law pre prescribed. Uh, Jesus was circumcised on, on the eighth day. And we see here that Abraham was 100 years old at this time. And uh, we remember that when God told Abraham, Abraham laughed, but not in unbelief. And when Sarah heard it on, through the tent wall, she laughed, but in unbelief. Uh, but here uh, she says, God has made me laugh, and everyone who hears will laugh with me. So there's a really big difference between laughing at someone, laughing about someone, and laughing with someone. She's talking about people laughing with her. And, uh, you know, we have to give Abraham and, some credit, and, and Sarah some credit here for being willing to have a child at their age. You know, um, uh, Dawn and Mickey have been doing a lot of babysitting. And uh, there's a reason why people have children when they're young. You know, it's hard work and tough. And uh, uh, it never stops. There's no break. No break in the action. And here uh, we see that... that uh, that Sarah's laughter of unbelief has been turned to joy. And we're going to find out that that isn't true for everyone because Ishmael is going to turn this opportunity into uh, to, to mock uh, Isaac. He turns it to mockery. And this kind of pushes the envelope. It forces, it forces a, a decision. Uh, something that is necessary but very unpleasant, something that they don't want to do. But the situation of how uh, this Isaac and Ishmael 
these two brothers now creates a problem. And so uh, their decision becomes necessary for the long-term preservation of Isaac's inheritance. And so that brings us to the second session, section here that begins in verse 8. So let's begin in verse 8. Abraham answered, God himself will... No, I'm in the wrong chapter. <laughs> okay, uh, chapter 21, uh, verse 8. The child grew and was weaned, and Abraham held a great feast on the day Isaac was weaned. On the day Isaac was weaned. But Sarah saw the son mocking, the one Hagar, Hagar, the Egyptian, had born to Abraham. So she said to Abraham, Drive out this slave with her son, for the son of this slave will not be a co-heir with my son Isaac. Now this was a very difficult thing for Abraham because of his son. But God said to Abraham, Do not be concerned about the boy and your slave. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her because your offspring will be traced through Isaac. But I will also make a nation of the slave's son, because he is your offspring. So early in the morning, Abraham got up and he took bread and a water skin, put them on Hagar's shoulders, and sent her and the boy away. She left and wandered in the wilderness of Beersheba. And when the water in the skin was gone, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and she sat down nearby, about a bow shot away, for she said, I can't bear to watch the boy die. So she sat nearby, she wept loudly. And God heard the voice of the boy, and the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven. And he said to her, What's wrong, Hagar? Don't be afraid, for God has heard the voice of the boy from the place where he is, from the, from the place where he is. Get up, help the boy up, and sustain him, for I will make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes, and she saw a well of water. So she went and filled the water skin and gave the boy a drink. God was with the boy, and he grew. He settled in the wilderness and became an archer. He settled in the wilderness of Paran, and his mother got a wife for him from the land of Egypt. So we see here that uh, on the day that Abraham's uh, son was weaned, Isaac was weaned, and so this puts him at about two or three years old. We don't know for sure, but at least two. And uh, this was a big deal because it meant that this child had advanced through this early stage of life where uh, life is so precious, you know. And uh, so this was something to celebrate. I'm sure this was a, a little bit more freedom for Sarah too. So it was just all the way around a really good, happy event. And so they threw a great feast but we saw that Sarah saw Ishmael, Ishmael mocking Isaac. And, you know, sibling rivalry is not anything new. Um, uh, this is common among brothers and sisters. Uh, so, but this is something different. This is something more. Uh, we remember the prediction about Ishmael's nature, his character, what kind of a person he was going to be. In chapter 16, verse 12, it says, This man will be like a wild donkey. His hand will be against everyone, and everyone's hand will be against him. He will live at odds with all his brothers. So a cantankerous character, someone who's going to be difficult to get along with, 
a wild donkey of a man. And so uh, this is the, the, the bend, the bent way this person, his character is going to go in life and his descendants that follow him. And here we see he is not happy, but mocking. And this is important because, you know, if, if he's just jealous about his little brother getting all the attention, that's one thing. But as these two boys uh, become men, who's going to get the birthright? Who's going to be treated as the firstborn? Who is the inheritance going to go through? There's a problem, isn't there? The problem wouldn't exist if Abraham and Sarah had trusted God and been patient and waited. But they didn't do that. And so the situation is before their face, something has to be done. And so we see here in, in verses 12 and 13, well, beginning of verse 10, she says, drive out this, uh, this slave with her son, for the son of this slave will, be a, will not be a co-heir with my son Isaac. And then in verse 11, look at this. It tells us that this was really tough. Now, this was a very difficult thing for Abraham because of his son. And then God tells Abraham, do not be concerned about the boy and your slave. Whatever Sarah says to you, listen to her. Because your offspring will be traced through Isaac. But I will make a, a nation out of, your, out of the slave's son because he's your, he's your offspring. So we narrow in on verse 12 where it says, whatever Sarah says, whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her. Well, guys, you might as well underline that verse. The women here already have. <laughs> One pastor I was listening to, he said that, so there's two verses in the Bible that every married man knows. One's John 3.16 and one's Ephesians 5.22. Wives submit to your husbands. <laughs> and uh, as a joke, you guys. But uh, uh, it does. Uh, Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. That's verse 22. But of course, the, the verse before it says that the man and the woman should submit to one another. Uh, verse 28, it says that the man is supposed to consider his body as the same as his wife's. It says husbands are to love their wives as their own bodies. And then it all summarizes in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. It says, husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. You can't submit to someone unless you know that all of the decisions they're making are on your behalf. That they're putting you first. It doesn't work any other way. There's nothing worse than having a boss at work who's just concerned about himself and he's always looking for opportunities to step on somebody's head to get higher and, and or just to be lazy uh, is it trying to help out uh, it's horrible isn't it we've all had supervisors like this and so uh, where they're not they're not there to, to for you they're not there they don't see themselves as leading to serve and this is the key this is the, the key to the entire Christian life uh, Jesus is the is suffering servant, and he teaches us that you, you, you live by example. You, if, you, if you're ever in a position of leading in any shape, way, or form, it's by serving, serving one another. And so uh, this is the, the situation here where God is telling Abraham that he needs to listen to his wife. 
Now we remember that Eve gave very bad advice in the garden. And in chapter 16, Sarah gave very bad advice to Abraham regarding Hagar. And then when it all fell apart, she actually even blamed him for it, if you remember. So this is not an absolute truth that you have to listen to your wife. She's always going to be right. But it does speak to our inability to see clearly when our emotions are involved. Think about what this passage is telling us. This is a problem that is not going to go away. They created the problem, to be sure, but they needed to do something about it. And and it was no way to do it in a nice way. It was a horrible situation, an unfortunate, regrettable situation. But Abraham was very emotionally involved. This was his son. This was his only son. And he had raised him. And you remember in in chapter 17, verse 12, he's talking to God. Abraham's talking to God, and he's just saying, if only Ishmael were acceptable to you. You I, I realize you keep telling me this, God. There's this promise. I mean, it was, by the time Isaac was finally born, 25 years had passed. That's a long time, you guys, for God to be saying he's going to do something. 25 years. And remember in chapter 11 in Hebrews, we find out that God did this on purpose. He was waiting until they were too old to have children. So he had a completely different frame of mind and a different timetable for his purposes. But it was all going to actually happen. But Abraham had had Ishmael, and he loved him dearly. And he says, you know, God, what if, what if Ishmael was acceptable to you? Can he just be acceptable to you? Well, Sarah was outside of all of that, wasn't she? This wasn't Sarah's son. This was Hagar's son. And even though she did not believe God, she had moments of unbelief, she came to trust Him. And especially if you think about the dynamics of what happened there when, when, uh, when Jesus himself was talking to Sarah about this child. And he said, why did you laugh? And she, and she denied laughing. And he said, no, you laughed. Things began to change in Sarah's heart. And now she has finally had this child. And so she is locked in with God now. She is confident uh, in Him. Not in herself, but in Him. He has proven himself to her. He has performed just an incredible miracle. You know, the time that a woman has with their baby is so little that all of that time, you know, this had to have been um, well to go that long barren and the shame that other women would maybe give you, you know, and then to finally have the child. What a rejoicing thing that was. So Sarah was Sarah was dead on right here. She knew that they had created a problem, and she was a big part of it, but she knew they had to do, had to do something. And so, really, Abraham, just it was impossible. You want me to give away, to drive out Ishmael from our home? You know, how can I possibly do that? So he, uh, Abraham could not see what needed to be done or bring himself to do what needed to be done because of his emotions. And so this is really... What's happening here? This is the major lesson for each one of us: is to realize that 
There are times in our life when our vision is blurred, when we don't see clearly. Others around us may be able to, but we can't because we're emotionally attached to what's happening. There's some easy examples. Um, a family member that we are enabling. When you try to talk politics with somebody, or if you want to talk about something theologically that they disagree with, you want to talk about something that they've believed since whatever, and, and theologically, and you start trying to discuss it with them, what happens? Our fists come up, or like this, and, and we, we resist it, you know, because all of a sudden our emotions are so involved, we can't hear anymore, can we? We can't see and we can't hear our emotions. And you start telling me I shouldn't be a Republican, you start telling me I can't be a Democrat, and, and all of a sudden, you know, we just get all tight. And this is what happens. And it's something we have to recognize about ourselves. In America, marriages are not arranged most of the time that I'm aware of. And so uh, everyone who has ever gotten married, that began with that very first date. Then every marriage begins with the first date. And so you have to go out with the right guy and the right girl. Uh, the Bible's given us some very clear guidelines that the person needs to be a believer and not just say that they are or that they prayed when they were a little kid but they don't go to church anymore because some guy's a hypocrite. or you know, It's got to be someone who's in good standing with God, doesn't it? You, you put your faith in Christ and, and, and you see that in that person's life. They're, they're going to church. This is someone who is maybe eligible to go out with. But when you're lonely, or he's good looking, or he's cute, or whatever, you know, all of a sudden all these factors come into play and you go out with him anyway, when you know you shouldn't. Our emotions blur our vision. Sometimes our spouse is not on board with something and they need to be. They can't hear, they just can't see. Sometimes we make business investments that we shouldn't. Sometimes we go into partnership with people that we shouldn't. There's decisions we make about what school to attend. What thing are we supposed to buy? Should I buy this coat? Should I buy this car? Should I buy this motorcycle? You know. Should I listen to my parents? Should I listen to advice? Now on the other side of the coin, there needs to be empathy because we've all been there. So whenever you find yourself dealing with someone else who is so emotionally involved in something that they can't see past it, what is our reaction supposed to be? There has to be humility all the way around. You know, This is not a time to be proud, judgmental. It's a time to be patient, understanding, loving, humility because there by the grace of God go I type of thing where we've all been in these situations. I'm sure that each one of us have, are emotionally attached to something right now. All of us are. And it clouds our vision. And so at the end of the day, all of us need to be aware that when we really want something, uh, our will can get in the way. And what God is trying to tell us through uh, the Bible through our parents, through our friends, 
could be somebody at work. It could be a, a, somebody talking about God on television. You know, we have to be able to hear. Now, Hagar and Ishmael, uh, they had to go. And this is difficult for us to understand and accept, just as it was difficult for them. Um, but they were never going to stop trying to pull everything down. There were the consequences of sin that had to be shed. Now, they are human beings that God loves very much. And we see this in the passage here and in things God said before, that God loves Ishmael, he loves Hagar, and he hears their prayers. He hears them crying out to him. He loves them just as much as he loves Abraham and Sarah. But in God's plan, the birthright is going to go through Isaac. And so they did have to go. Sarah was right. And so this is something where uh, we can see that each one of us must work out our own salvation with fear and trembling. In the book of Galatians, Paul uses this unfortunate situation to illustrate the bondage of the flesh, which is Ishmael, and the freedom in Christ, which is through Isaac. There's the picture of the law and grace. There's the picture of the flesh and the spirit. Galatians 4, verses 22 through 23 tells us this. Abraham had two sons, one by a slave and the other by a free woman. But the one by the slave was born according to the impulse of the flesh, while the one by the free woman was born as the result of a promise. And so early in the morning, Abraham is, uh, sends them away. But he does this knowing God's promise, doesn't he? And uh, she chose to wander in the wilderness of Beersheba. When the water was gone, she put her son under a bush, and then she went far enough away, hopefully, where he couldn't hear her crying because he just couldn't stand to see her die. But God came to Hagar and spoke to her from heaven. She said, I'll make him a great nation. And then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water. Now in the long run, they settle there in, in this wilderness, which is in the northeast part of the Sinai Peninsula. So it's going to be between Israel and Egypt. And uh, he became an archer and he married a woman from Egypt, which is no surprise because Hagar was from Egypt. Now, uh, Abraham did send them away without, without much. And we don't know what was around there. You know, like we watch a television show like Survivor or whatever. Uh, hopefully not naked and ashamed, but, or naked, what is it? But uh, whatever that is. But uh, they're on these islands and it's remote and they've got to survive three days with, you know, living off the land or whatever. But if, if you could zoom out, you'd see that just on the other side of the trees is maybe a major city. You know, there's all kinds of sustenance there. It's just for, this, for the silliness of the show. But uh, we know so much from just what we've already been studying here that people were not far away, you know. So when Ishmael and Hagar left, there were places they could have went, you know. But they went into the wilderness, and this is where they stayed. And he did not send them away with a lot. But he, he, in fact, he, what he did is he, he turned them over to God because he knew the promise. Now, he could have sent her away with great wealth and provision, a, a caravan. And sometimes this is what we tend to do, don't we? We do everything we can to protect somebody or something rather than trusting God. 
Well, then this moves to the final part of the chapter, beginning in verse 22. At that time, Abimelech, and if uh, you remember Alex's sermon last Sunday, he uh, moved through uh, chapter 20 uh, in, uh, regarding Abimelech. So this is the same person. At that time, Abimelech, with uh, Phicol, the commander of his army, said to Abraham, God is with you in everything you do. Now swear to me here by God that you will not break an agreement with me or with my children and descendants. As I have kept faith with you, so you will keep faith with me and with the country where you are a resident alien. And Abraham said, I swear it. But Abraham complained to Abimelech because of the water well that Abimelech's servants had seized. And Abimelech replied, I don't know who did this thing. You didn't report anything to me, so I hadn't heard anything about it until today. And then Abraham took sheep and cattle, and he gave them to Abimelech, and the two of them made a covenant. But Abraham had set apart seventy lambs from the flock. And Abimelech said to Abraham, Why have you set apart these seven lambs? Well, you are to accept the seven lambs from my hand, so that this act will serve as my witness that I dug this well. And therefore that place was called Beersheba, because it was there that the two of them swore an oath. And after they had made a covenant at Beersheba, Abimelech and Phicol, the commander of his army, left and they returned to the land of the Philistines. And Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba, and there he worshipped the Lord, the everlasting God. And Abraham lived as a foreigner in the land of the Philistines for many days. So he asked Abraham to make a covenant, and he, and he does this because he says in verse 22, God is with you in everything you do. Now this is the same person in chapter 20 who had really nothing good to say about Abraham at all. But over time, that changed. We remember that Abimelech, God spoke to Abimelech through a dream. And so Abimelech was introduced to his creator. That would tend to leave a mark on you, wouldn't it? And then over time, he observed God's hand on Abraham, the one that God loved, his child. And so Abimelech, you know, did something pretty neat here because he didn't stay with his first impression. He didn't hold a grudge, and his open mind was able to see. Now, Beersheba is uh, where Abraham made this covenant. It's a well that still exists today, and there's a picture of it. And this is where we see Abraham's neighbors were drawn to him because of why? Abraham was rich? No. Because Abraham had treated him so well in chapter 20? No. Here we see Abraham's neighbors being drawn to him because they see his relationship with God. And this is the Abrahamic covenant in a nutshell. This is the purpose of it. We see here that Abimelech refers to God as God. Uh, the, the Abrahamic covenant is designed so that God's people will be a light to the nations. Remember Ezekiel 5 5, it says, I have Jerusalem. He's talking about Jerusalem. He says, I have placed you in the center of the nations. And in chapter 12, when he first made his promise to Abraham, he said that all of the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. And so, in closing, I'll ask this question 
Do people see that you have a relationship with God? Many years ago, long before our family joined all of you, someone was uh, considering visiting this church, but they were concerned about what kind of people were here. And so literally sat in the parking lot to watch the people go inside. And when the pastor unloaded a bunch of children off of that van, well, that sealed the deal. I remember uh, John Wolverd uh, talked about why he went into the ministry, and it was because he was in a very small church, and there was an elderly man who was the pastor. It's a very small church, and the man was just had, a, had carried himself as being content. He was at peace. And, uh, of course, John Wolverd went on to be a very well-known, famous pastor of, of a large church and even president of a seminary. So God did a lot of stuff with him, but it was that, it was that peace that he saw in that pastor, in that small church that night, changed his life. You know. And they saw Abraham and it changed his life. Abimelech said, I want to be part of his God. And it was seeing the, the kind-hearted nature of the people in the parking lot walking into this church that draw that person here. A long time ago, I was trying so many things to be happy, uh, things that were not working. They were, little, they were things that my little sister cared nothing about. And whenever I brag about my sister's relationship with God and how that... <clears throat> you know, minister to me. I'm sure that like my mom is, because she watches these sermons, so I'm sure she's like, well, what am I, a chopped liver? You know, I, you know, all these years. But uh, my little sister was my age, you know. And so the things I needed, she didn't need. Things I wanted and the things I was trying to do to be happy, she could have cared less about. And I looked at her life, it was just so boring. It's horrible. It's just horrible. She... She went to school, she did homework, she went to church. You know, just, it was just such a rotten existence, you know, for a girl her age. And, uh, you know, uh, I didn't know it, but she was actually singing in the, the youth group she was in, traveled and went all over the place singing. And I didn't even know that, had no clue. But uh, she had the one thing I desperately wanted, and that was peace. Peace. 